Welcome back to Catholic Doctrine Bible Study. This is session 110. I'm your host, Jim Hawk. And in this session, we'll be looking at Paul's letter to Titus and also his letter to Philemon. And if we're really lucky, we'll get to an introduction of the letter to the Hebrews. So, uh, not much is needed as an introduction. Titus was a traveling partner of Paul. Uh, we see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 that he was with Paul on Paul's third missionary journey, and he later was assigned uh, responsibility for taking up a collection in Corinth for the Christian community of Jerusalem. We also see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And <clears throat> he was given by Paul uh, the title of administrator of this new Christian church in Crete, uh, which is a Greek island even today, of course. And uh, so he's writing this very short letter to Titus to say, okay, here are some things to be aware of when you're appointing people to positions of authority. Here are some things to, uh, to help you in leading this new community. So it's a very short letter. And uh, a lot of the advice that Paul gives Titus can also be found in 1 Timothy, which we just studied a couple of sessions ago. So this letter was probably written at about the same time as 1 and 2 Timothy um, while Paul was in prison there. And it's debatable which of these three letters, 1 and 2 Timothy and, and Titus, were written first, but um, it's all kind of in the same time frame. And uh, so probably while Paul's in prison, probably in Rome, probably near the very end of his life. Uh, so we're talking about, let's say, 63, 65 AD or whatever. So uh, enough on background of Titus. By the way, Paul may or may not have ever visited the island of Crete, we, we see that he passed by it in Acts chapter 27 on his way to Rome before he was shipwrecked in, uh, in Malta. And he may have visited there after his first Roman imprisonment, but we don't, we don't know. Okay, so what does Paul do? He starts out and he says, hey, I want you to appoint presbyters in every town or you know, would that be a presbyter? Would that be like a a, a, a bishop, if you will? Uh, would um, so he's saying, okay, I want you to appoint bishops in every in every town, and he says, you know, once again, the person should be married only once and and have good kids and not blameless, not a drunk. It must be blameless, not arrogant or a drunkard or aggressive or greedy or. You know, it should be hospitable and all that. So, I mean, these are all characteristics that are good for, you know, that, that we would all do well to have or to develop. Um, and he says, he, he stresses the importance of right doctrine. And that's why this, this class is called Catholic Doctrine Bible Study. 
In verse 9 of chapter 1, he says, holding fast to the true message as taught, so that he will be able both to exhort with sound doctrine and to refute opponents. And that's why you're hopefully one reason why you're listening to this is so that you will be able to exhort others with sound doctrine, that is Catholic doctrine, and to be able to refute opponents when they um, <clears throat> question you about your Catholic faith. Okay. Now, interestingly, although Paul may or may not have ever visited Crete in person, as we just mentioned, uh, he talks about the Cretans as if he does know them. And uh, the history of the people of Crete is such that one of their own prophets, not a religious guy, a guy named Epimenides, a Cretan poet, poet of the 6th century BC, said about his own people, um, once said, Cretans have always been liars, vicious beasts, and lazy gluttons. So that is the quote of the Greek poet of the 6th century. And Paul goes on and says, that testimony is true. So I guess, uh, you know, maybe he's stereotyping uh, the people of, of Crete. But Paul says, therefore, admonish them sharply. I'm going to stop here for a minute. Admonish them sharply. When was the last time you heard from the pulpit something about sin? you know, specific things about sin. You really don't hear that much from the pulpit anymore. Um, when I was a child, you heard more things about sin and hell, and that seems to have gone out of fashion. It's no less true, but it uh, seems to have gone out of passion. And now we are told about Christ's love and forgiveness, which is true. Well, of course, both, you know, Sin separates us from God, bear, uh, puts a barrier to our relationship with God, and yet God is loving and merciful. So, uh, but Paul says here, preach it loud, admonish them sharply. You may want to underline that in uh, verse 13 of chapter 1. And he, he talks about people who are perhaps in church, but they're not really into their doctrine. They're following other doctrines. Their, their, uh, their behaviors are not good. Here's a good verse to underline. Verse 16. They claim to know God, but by their deeds, they deny him. So apparently deeds are important, right? And um, so deeds, ask yourself, are you one of those people that claims to know God? There's a lot of people that claim to be Christians or Catholics or whatever, and yet by their very deeds, you can see that they're really not into their faith. So don't be like that. Okay, now we're on to chapter two, and he talks about Christian behavior, nothing that we haven't seen before. Um, I'm not going to point, the only thing I'm going to point out about the behavior, because you may run into this, Verse 3, older women should be reverent in their behavior, not slanderers, nor addicted to drink, teaching what is good so that they may train younger women to love their husbands and children. When I was in the Protestant world, there was a group that was a nationwide group, 
And it, it was very successful and had a very good membership. I assume it's still around. And it, it was uh, called the Titus II ministry. And it was for ladies who, who would seek to give encouragement. You know, the older women would seek to give encouragement and training to the, to the uh, younger ladies in the church so that uh, they would be better, you know, uh, better wives, better homemakers, and, and uh, all that's all that sort of thing. So if you ever hear somebody say, "Yeah, I was in a Titus II group," there's no need to look puzzled because they're talking about the behavior that Paul is urging women to have from verse three through five so that the word of God may not be discredited. So ladies, it's incumbent on you, to, as well as men, yeah, to, to teach the faith to your children, right? Because if we miss them out as, as a generation, if we miss one generation, it's, it's all over. And then, of course, he urges the younger men to control themselves. And um, so then... We see something else. He urges slaves to be under the control of masters. And if this is the first session that you're listening to, you, you might say, why doesn't he say slaves should all run away and be free or their masters should all let them, them go? And we've talked about this a number of times. So I would urge you, if you have further questions as to why Paul didn't say let, let the slaves go, see Ephesians chapter 6 verse 5 through 9. You might want to write that in your margins. Or stay tuned for later in this session, coming up very shortly, we talk about the letter to Philemon. Okay. And I think um, verse, verse 12, we're wrapping this up here of chapter 2, says, um, God appeared saving all, at least offering salvation to all, we're not universalists here. We believe you have a choice. You know, not all will go to heaven, not because God doesn't want you to go to heaven, but because you have a free will and some people choose to not have a relationship with God and don't want a relationship with God. Okay, God has appeared saving all and training us to reject godless ways and worldly desires and to live temperately, justly, and devoutly in this age, as we await the blessed hope, the appearance of the glory of the great God and of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, we, we need to reject the ways of the world and, uh, and recognize that we have a greater hope, the appearance of glory and our own appearance uh, with Christ in, in heaven. And... Um, I think that's about all I want to say about Titus, the, Paul's short little three-chapter letter to Titus. He does curiously, he gives Titus some advice in verse 10 of chapter 3. He says, after a first and second warning, break off contact with a heretic, realizing that such a person is perverted and sinful and stands self-condemned. So I assume he's talking about people within the church who just like to argue, okay? And you know people like that in your church. They just want to argue theological points just for the sake of argument. So um, after, after, you know, if they 
say some heretical statement a couple of times, maybe you just, uh, you don't put them down um, violently or anything like that, but maybe uh, it says elsewhere in scripture, do not cast your pearls before swine. If somebody likes to argue just for the sake of argument, maybe your time is better spent somewhere else. Um, it's not to say you shouldn't pray for them and look for opportunities where you can get them back on the right track. Okay, that's all we're going to say about Paul's letter to Titus. And now we're on to Paul's letter to Philemon, P-H-I-L-E-M-O-N. So um, why is Paul writing this very short letter? I mean, bear in mind, this is a letter, right? So it could have been, hey, pick me up some tomatoes on your way to the gro from the grocery store or something, right? So he's writing this letter because Paul has in his ministry a guy who ran away from a man named Philemon. Philemon was a follower of Paul, and this slave's name is Onesimus. And Onesimus ran away from Philemon when Onesimus was a slave in Colossae. Um, you can read about him uh, in, uh, or you see a mention in Colossians chapter 4, verse 9. We already read Colossians, right? So Onesimus is the slave of Philemon, and he gets really turned on by Paul's message. And he ran away from Philemon and followed Paul. And I think Paul is in Rome while he's writing this. And so Onesimus follows uh, Paul to, to Rome. And Rome, and, you know, Paul gets to know him, and Onesimus is helping him, is helping Paul. And Paul writes back to Philemon and says, hey, I got your slave uh, right here. Onesimus is with me, and he's really serving me well. And what I'd like for you to do is I'm going to, I'm sending Onesimus back to you because, you know, he really was your property. Again, see our talk on Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5 through 9, about uh, my comments about slavery in general. Uh, and why, why didn't Paul just say, hey, you should let all slaves, slaves free. So you need to <clears throat> get that in your mind. Bottom line is Paul wasn't trying to uh, turn society upside down. He was trying to bring people into a, into a knowledge of and relationship with Christ. Okay. So by the way, if you bring people into a knowledge of and relationship with Christ, and we realize that we're all brothers, and we'll see that in a moment, then you're more likely to want to treat people like brothers and not as slaves and let them go. So bottom line is, uh, Paul says, I'm sending him back to you because um, he is your property, but I want you to give him his freedom so he can come back and serve me. And remember, I'm the guy, Philemon, that I, Paul, am the guy that turned you, Philemon, on to Christ. So you kind of owe me one. So I know you're going to do this. And that's kind of this very short, you know, one at most one short chapter together. He says, uh, I, uh, verse 10, I urge you on behalf of my child Onesimus, 
whose father I have become in my imprisonment. You might want to, just for chuckles, underline whose father I have become. You know, Jesus says in the gospel, call no man father. And some of my Protestant friends have said, why do you call priests fathers? Well, here's an example of Paul calling, although Paul is certainly not the biological father of Onesimus, he refers to himself as uh, I'm I'm Onesimus's father. Okay, the point Jesus was making is, don't give, don't put so much credence in an individual that you put them above God. And we would agree with that. We do treat our priests with dignity, but we don't put them on the level of God. Okay, and he says, uh, whose father I have become in my imprisonment. Uh, he was once useless to you, but is now useful to both you and me. I am sending him, uh, that is, my own heart, back to you. I would have, should have liked to retain him for myself um, so that he might serve me on your behalf in my imprisonment for the gospel. But, you know, I'm going to summarize because we're about out of time. He says, um, I, want you to, I want you to release him, send him back. Um, Verse 16, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a brother. So you might want to underline verse 16. Again, we have a new relationship with each other as Christians. We're not, you know, slaves to one another, but we are brothers rather. Okay. And, uh, and then he says in verse 19, may I not tell you that you owe me your very self? Yes, brother, he's saying this to Philemon, may I profit from you in the Lord, and I know you're going to do this for me, and even more. And that is the end of Philemon. So you might say, well, what the heck is the point of this? Um, I would say, in a nutshell, that it points out that we are, uh, regardless of what our financial relationships are with each other. Yes, there will be bosses. Yes, there will be workers, etc. But we should be, um, we should love each other and treat each other well. And I think I'll just leave it at that. So I don't think we have time to get into uh, uh, the letter to the Hebrews. Um, so I think next time we'll, we'll do an introduction to that and get into that. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord, we recognize that these, these letters that we looked at today were just that, letters, uh, just as we might write. And so um, we, we think of Paul's can telling, telling these individuals, to, uh, in Titus's case, to be temperate, and for the older women to um, not only be reverent in their behavior, but to uh, train the next generation. And so we too recognize our obligation to train the next generation in, in the faith. So uh, help us to always be looking at, th at that responsibility. Who should we be training? How should we be training them? And we ask for your grace in, um, in guiding us in that regard. We ask this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.